straight out of Philly, this is the Reluctant Theologian Podcast. Oh, so reluctant. I am your host, Dr. R.T. Mullins from Palm Beach Atlantic University. This is the 100th episode extravaganza. That's right, this show has reached 100 glorious episodes. 100 episodes on theology, philosophy, science, and heavy metal. In today's episode, I'm going to give you a bit of everything that makes this show so great by reflecting on every single one of those topics. So buckle up, Buttercup. I'm back in America. If you would like to support the show, you can donate money to my Patreon account or my Ko-fi account. Any donation amount helps me out in so many ways. I greatly appreciate all of the support that people have already offered there. If you have questions or topics that you'd like to hear on the show, you can send me a message at rtmullins.com. Ready or not, here I am taking on the world. Enjoy. All right, all right, all right. You may have noticed that I said straight out of Philly and not straight out of Finland. That's right, I have recently moved to Philadelphia. The American boy is back. And I'm going to bring you another 100 episodes of all-American philosophical theology. Straight out of the land of liberty, right next to the avenue of freedom, I'm going to keep this show going strong as I enter into this new chapter of my life. Everyone is asking how it feels to be back in America. To be honest, it feels a bit weird. I've been living in and out of the UK for about 10 years now, and then in Finland for the last two years. The country feels very different to me. People seem much more divided than when I first left. The level of propaganda and just outright lies from the media seems to me to be on a different scale than what I can remember. And I don't want to get too political on this show, but man, I thought I just moved away from the Russian border. And now, as I watch American news, I wonder if I just move closer to the propaganda machine. Also, most of my time in America over the past several years has been for temporary stays. As of the recording of this, I've only been in the U.S. for about two weeks. But being back in the U.S. reminds me of my roots. It reminds me of where I came from. And maybe being back here will help me discover new aspects of my self-identity. Maybe being here in the U.S. will help remind me that I'm an American boy for all times. I don't know. We'll just have to wait and see. Anyway, so one of the greatest joys about being in the U.S. is being reunited with my wife. As some of you know, my wife has been living in Philly over this past year, and I've been going back and forth between Philadelphia and Finland. It feels very good to just once again be living with my wife instead of doing this crazy long distance thing. I mean, I really appreciate all of your prayers over this past year. As some of you know, the long distance was hard, and it feels just, again, it feels really great to be reunited with my wife. Uh, I'll get her back on the show at some point in the future. We just have a really crazy summer ahead of us. Emma is excited to show me the city and explore new places together. We have all sorts of conferences coming up over the next several months. I'll tell you about some of those conferences that I have coming up shortly. But I have a list of other topics that I want to hit on first. We need to talk about some heavy metal, some theology, mental health, some providence, and so much more. So I hope you're ready for it. I really hope you like this. I'm liking this American boy. Oh, well, thank you. I mean, it really means a lot to me. Anyway, moving swiftly on, 
Here's the next topic, the Black Dahlia murder. So I've talked about on this show before, one of my favorite bands is the Black Dahlia murder. So recently the band made an announcement that their lead singer, Trevor, passed away. Now as of this recording, there are no details on the cause of death, and it seems safe to assume that the cause of death is suicide. The band's announcement of Trevor's passing listed a suicide hotline to call. This, I mean, this, I thought this was really sad. I've been following these guys since 2003. I was at some metal show in downtown Indianapolis, and this record store next to the music venue was handing out free posters. I grabbed a poster of several bands they already knew and loved, and then buried in the stack of posters was one for the Black Dahlia murder. I had no idea who these guys were at the time, so I bought their album Unhallowed. This album was a game changer for me. It changed the way I played guitar. Uh, I joined a band shortly after that, and because I wanted so badly to sound like these guys. And since then, I've watched them perform multiple times in the US and in Scotland. There was one show of theirs that was particularly meaningful to me. This was in early 2012. I was, at, I was in counseling at the time to work through some trauma that I had faced. My counselor was encouraging me to get back to my roots, kind of rediscover things that I used to enjoy. He asked me what was something that I really used to enjoy. And I said that I used to love going to metal shows. And he told me, well, just go find one in Scotland. Just, you know, just go and have some fun. And I was fortunate to discover that the Black Dahlia Murder and Skeleton Witch, they were coming through Dundee in about a month. But the thing is, I had no one to go with. I was a PhD student at the University of St. Andrews at the time. And this posh little village, it does not have a metal scene. That is why I had to travel all the way to Dundee to see a band. And I, re I remember jokingly asking my friend Will Simpson if he would go with me to the show. I knew that this would not be of interest to him in the slightest. Like, I mean, he's just, this is not going to be his thing. But I, you know, I sent him a link to the Black Dahlia's music. And Will said something to me like, Mmm, yes, Ryan, I, I must respectfully decline your invitation. You'll have to slay Leviathan without me. Pip, pip. Now, Will, if you're listening, I'm sorry for the bad impression of your English accent. Um, but to be clear, Will did say pip, pip. Uh, he said that a lot to me because he, he knew that I just found it hilarious. So anyway, I, like, I, I just felt really disheartened that I had no one to go with to the show. And I remember the day of the show, like I really wanted to back out. Like I thought about staying home because I was scared of being alone at the show. But then I remembered that the whole point of my counselor encouraging me to go to the show, like it, it, I, I was constantly being held back by my past trauma. I was living in this state of fear. I was just missing out on the joys of life. That's why my counselor wanted me to go to the show. So I grabbed my copy of Marilyn Adams' book, Christ and Horrors, and I hopped on a train to Dundee. I read Marilyn's book on the train and in between sets because I didn't have anyone to talk to. But when the Black Dahlia murder took the stage, I, I no longer felt alone. I was surrounded by a room full of metal kids just screaming their hearts out and enjoying every minute of music. It was a brilliant night. I bought a Black Dahlia murder hoodie at that show. If you've ever met me in person, you have most likely seen me wearing this hoodie. I have even worn this hoodie like in multiple YouTube videos. Uh, I mean, at this point, the hoodie, it's just, it's just falling apart. Uh, I, I mean, I really, really should get a new one. But it... The hoodie just means a lot to me because it's the symbol of a moment in my life where I decided to start living again. So, all that to say, I really appreciate the Black Dahlia Murder's music. I'm really sad to say that Trevor's passing. I hope that he finds peace from whatever was bothering him. 
So this leads me to my next topic, mental health and theology. So as I mentioned, Trevor's death is most likely the result of suicide. And I've talked about mental health issues on this show several times in the past. I have personally known multiple people who suffer with depression, personality disorders, and anxiety. I I mean, I personally have ADD and dysthymia, so I sometimes experience chronic low mood. Over the past several years, I have experienced anxiety related to just, just the roller coaster that is the academic job market. I assume that many of you listening have experienced mental health issues in some form or another, so I want to briefly talk about a conference that I went to in Leeds this past spring. So in April, I went to Leeds in England to record some episodes at a conference on mental health and theology. This was a small symposium led by Tasia Scrutton. You will hopefully remember her since she's been on the show several times. One of the last times I had her on the show, we talked about her book, Christianity and Depression. So Tasia and Simon Hewitt, they had me set up my equipment in their house, and we recorded some episodes with uh, three of the participants from the symposium. So I've got some really cool episodes on mental health, the problem of evil, epistemic injustice, and reincarnation. I, like, I, I'm really excited to release these episodes over the summer. I think you're going to find them really fascinating. So there were several things that I really appreciated about this workshop in Leeds. First, I got to catch up with old friends in the world of English philosophy of religion. And then second, I got to meet some new amazing people. We had this mixed crowd of clinical psychologists, philosophers, and theologians. We had people from Jewish, Christian, and Muslim backgrounds. No one there could claim to be an expert because we were exploring a very new interdisciplinary field of mental health and theology. I really appreciated the attitudes in the room. I mean, like, no one was cocky, like, no one thought they knew everything. And people were there to just kind of you know, present their research and learn from each other. And you don't always see that at conferences. So this was something that I, I greatly enjoyed about the atmosphere that Tasia and Simon set. Now, here's something else I learned at the conference. And you're going to hear more about this when I release my interview with Kate Finley. There are different kinds of dominant narratives surrounding mental health and theology. So one popular narrative says that you, that you have mental health problems because of some sort of sin in your life. Perhaps you're depressed because God is punishing you for your sins. And then another popular narrative says that you are experiencing mental health problems because God has placed them in your life as some sort of like trial, like God is testing you in some kind of way. Now, sometimes this narrative can be romanticized. It can really romanticize mental health problems and make it sound like you're some like virtuous person based on the mere fact that you have chronic anxiety. Now, when mental health gets romanticized in this way, or if mental health is treated like a divine punishment, it can potentially bring with it a dangerous attitude. If It could lead to a refusal to help those with mental health. I mean, after all, if God is punishing someone, do you really want to stand in God's way? Or if God has blessed someone with depression so that they can grow closer to God, do you really want to put a stop to this person's spiritual growth? I'm hoping that you can see the problem here. But things can also get messy if we treat mental health as if it is just this purely physical problem. Now, don't get me wrong. There is a clear physical basis for lots of mental health issues. I mean, I take my ADD pills every day in order to just function. But if we treat mental health issues in isolation from the rest of who we are as people, we will not get to the bottom of things. 
So part of the effort of Tasia to explore this new area of research is to create a nuanced narrative that captures the complexity of our experience as embodied spiritual beings. One of the ideas that we toyed around with at this conference is that mental health issues are just unpleasant. I mean, no one wanted to ignore the painful reality of mental health problems. But we wanted to explore mental health illness as a potential locus for spiritual growth. And notice that I said potential. No one wanted to say that if you have mental illness, then you will automatically grow closer to God. I mean, think about that for a second. I mean, mean, that kind of narrative can be really discouraging to anyone who is depressed and not feeling remotely close to God. No, no, no. Having mental illness does not automatically guarantee that you will grow closer to God. Instead, mental illness could potentially be a place where God brings good out of darkness. Now, one of the things that I noticed in these discussions is the role of divine providence. The story that you tell about the existence of mental illness will heavily depend on your theory of providence. So, for example, one clinical psychologist gave a talk about mental health and Islam. He said that there were really only two explanations for mental illness discussed within the Islamic communities that he has worked in. You are experiencing mental illness either because God is punishing some sin or God is testing you. Either way, God has specifically intended that you experience mental illness. I, I, I found that fascinating because it assumes a meticulous account of divine providence. On a meticulous account of divine providence, it is often said that God adopts a specific benefit policy for governing the world. Every event that happens in the world is divinely intended in order to bring about a specific benefit for God's plan. Now, if that's the theory of providence that you're working with, then it, you know, then it makes sense that you would say that mental illness is either a divine punishment or a divine test. But the problem with this is that lots of cases of mental illness do not seem to be divine punishment or divine tests. It seems like there, there are lots of other explanations for why you're experiencing mental illness without having to say that God specifically intended you to have depression, anxiety, or you know, multiple personalities or whatever. If you affirm a general theory of providence, then you can say something very different. On a general theory of providence, God does not specifically intend every event in the world. On a general theory of providence, God creates the universe for a reason and puts in place general structures of our universe so that creatures can function according to to their own powers. God does providentially guide history towards his intended goal, but not everything that happens serves any specific purpose towards fulfilling that goal. On a general theory of providence, God has created a universe where things can just happen in accordance with a basic framework of cause and effect. So why do you have mental illness? I mean, it might be because this is what happens when you are a biological creature with a particular genetic profile. Or it might be because that's just what happens when you are a creature that experiences trauma. I mean, there, there might be nothing more to the story than that. Can God bring good out of this? I mean, a general theory of providence will most likely say yes. It depends who you ask. I mean, Molinist and open theists can both affirm a general theory of providence. Others might be able to do as well. Will God bring good out of this particular instance of mental illness? I, I, I don't know. I mean, God has free will, and I don't, I don't know everything that God is up to. I mean, here's the last thing that I want to say on this. It, it just seems to me that one potential area 
of exploration in mental health and theology is the doctrine of divine providence. If we are going to think theologically about mental illness, we will need to test our background assumptions about which model of providence we're working with. Different theories of providence are going to push us in different directions for how we think about mental illness. Okay, next question. Some people have been asking what I'm going to be doing now that I'm back in America. My wife Emma says that I should take a break. I've not really taken a break in several years, so it would be good for me to just kind of chill for a month, you know, maybe not, not do any theology or philosophy. Maybe I could discover a new hobby, I don't know, something like that. We'll have to see how that goes. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I don't know, um, I have a lot of stuff coming up. As of the recording of this episode, I am about to attend the first annual Carolina Analytic Theology Workshop. I'm presenting my paper, Panentheism, The Necessity of the Cosmos, and Divine Time. I have been asked to contribute to a book on panentheism in Western and Indian philosophical perspective. So in this paper, I look at a Jainist argument against the existence of God and God's reasons for creating the universe. And then I also look at Christian and Hindu philosophers that say that God is time. Now, in the midst of doing research for this paper, I found a great book by, by Martin Ganeri called Indian Thought and Western Theism. So Ganeri offers a comparative study of Ramanuja and Thomas Aquinas on the nature of God in the world. So here's a fun fact for you. Ramanuja does not affirm the doctrine of divine simplicity. Apparently, Ramanuja didn't get the memo that his options are divine simplicity or atheism. Whew, silly Ramanuja. Affirming the existence of God and denying divine simplicity. Who could think of such a thing? All right, so after my trip to South Carolina, I'm going to be heading to Rutgers University for a summer seminar on God and space-time. This seminar looks really cool. Uh, I'll be in the middle of this seminar probably when this episode airs. I'm going to be hanging out with people like Dean Zimmerman, Brian Leftow, Catherine Rogers, a whole bunch of philosophers of physics, and just loads of other really cool people. There's several friends who I know are going to be at this thing. I'm really excited about this. It's going to be some really high-level uh, philosophical theology and philosophy of physics. After that, I'm going to be flying to Cambridge in England for a workshop on Islam and epistemology. Tyler McNabb and I are going to be hanging out with some great Muslim scholars to talk about knowing God. I'm going to have a chat with uh, Raman Harvey and others about the metaphysics of God as well. I'm really looking forward to that. Harvey has this great book called Transcendent God, Rational World, and I, I highly recommend reading this book. I've only read portions of this book so far, but I've been really impressed. I saw Harvey give a talk on God and abstract objects a few years ago in Scotland, and it, it, it's really nice to see the published result of his work. Harvey has a detailed defense of divine timelessness that I'm hoping to give a deeper consideration to at some point. Harvey also offers a full-scale rejection of divine simplicity and a detailed account of divine unity. As it turns out, rejecting divine simplicity in favor of divine unity is quite popular within Islamic thought. In fact, most of the standard Thomistic arguments against divine unity had already been answered by Al-Ghazali before Aquinas was even born. Apparently, loads of major Islamic theologians just did not get the memo that their options were divine simplicity or atheism. Hmm, funny that. So after this Islamic conference, I'll be making a brief stop in Helsinki to examine a PhD dissertation. Then I'll be going to Sicily for the University of Lucerne's first summer school. This will kickstart the new master's program in philosophy, theology, and religion. I'm really excited to hang out with everyone in Italy. Uh, like in the middle of that, I'm going to do a quick Zoom seminar for an Islamic summer school on philosophy of religion. I'll, I'll, for that, I'm going to be talking about God and the problem of no best world. 
And then after Italy, I'm going to be flying to Berlin. I'm going to be a part of a three-year project studying emotion and religion. The workshop in Berlin will be the start of this uh, three-year research project. I'm really curious to see how this goes. I'm hoping that this, this research project will help me develop my book, A Little Book About a Big God, which is going to touch on the value of empathy in our relationship with God. So after dancing at a goth club in Berlin, I'm going to fly down to Florida. So Palm Beach Atlantic University is hosting an apologetics conference in October, and I will be speaking at the conference on the coherence of theism. I need to represent my new school by looking at some new puzzles related to omnipotence and free will. So I'm super excited about getting to know the people at Palm Beach Atlantic. Like I'm really proud to be joining the faculty there and teaching for this new master's program in philosophy of religion. Like I, I'm really excited about this. After that, I will be making a trip to Denver for the Evangelical Philosophical Society. I'm going to be presenting my paper, Is the God of Classical Theism a Psychopath? Yes. That's the name of the paper. Uh, so this is going to be pretty interesting. Uh, so last year, the Evangelical Theological Society, they had a panel discussion on classical theism. Uh, the panel had some pretty strong rhetoric. Uh, so people like me and John Peckham were just just dismissed as biblicists, and we were accused of making God into an idol or a creature. I mean, you know, the standard strong rhetoric without any argument to back it up, which was, which was really unfortunate because Ross Inman was at the same conference, and Ross presented a really strong argument in favor of divine simplicity. So Ross demonstrated that one can give good arguments for classical theism without having to accuse everyone of idolatry. I don't, anyway, the, the atmosphere last year was, was interesting. So we'll see how things go this upcoming year when I present my psychopath argument. I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. Then after the Evangelical Philosophical Society, uh, you know, I'll take a break for Christmas. Then I'm going to head back down to Florida to teach my first intensive course at Palm Beach Atlantic. I will be teaching an intensive master's course on God, time, and creation. So this is what I'm up to between now and January. In the middle of all this, I have various writing projects to finish, podcast episodes to edit and record, and so on. I guess I'll take a break in February. Or maybe I'll just sleep when I'm dead. Okay, final question for this episode. What does the next 100 episodes of the Reluctant Theologian podcast look like? Well, let me tell you, my dear listener, I have already recorded enough episodes to last me for the rest of this year. Let me tell you what to look forward to over the coming months. So coming up next, I've got Ali Pekavainio on the metaphysics of the fall and original sin. I had several questions sent into the website asking about original sin, and well, got an expert on the topic to talk to you about this. I also have uh, Aku Vasala talking about analytic theology and the sciences. We're looking at his essay in the uh, TNT Clark Handbook of Analytic Theology. I've also, I'm also going to have Joshua Ferris back on the show. We've, we're going to talk about theological anthropology in the, in the intermediate state. So, after you die, what happens to you? And what does that tell us about whether or not you are a soul, or a physical organism, or you know, some form, matter, compound, whatever on earth that means? We're going to be looking at some of those kind of issues. Then I'm going to start releasing the episodes that I talked about earlier that I recorded at, at uh, Tasia Scruton's workshop in Leeds. I'm going to have José Porcho talking about epistemic injustice and psychopathology. I'm going to have Alexander Almeida talking about near-death experience, reincarnation, spiritual experience, and the implications that has for the mind-body problem. 
then I'm going to have an episode with Kate Finley where we talk about mental health, God, and the problem of suffering. Then I've got this really, really funny uh, episode that I recorded with Stephen Nemesh uh, on the Eucharist. I think I'm going to be calling it Why I Don't Eat Jesus. So we're going to be talking about uh, Stephen's account of communion or the Lord's Supper and why he just doesn't really think transubstantiation is what's going on in Scripture. I've got this really great episode that I recorded with uh, Thomas J. Ord recently when he was uh, traveling through Finland. We're looking at his account of divine love versus St. Augustine's account of divine love. And then we're also going to look at some objections that Tom has to the doctrine of creation out of nothing. After that, I'm going to have on Robin Lepedevin. This one I'm really excited about. I think you're going to like it. I had several people asking me, when are you going to get on someone like Robin Lepedevin? They've been wanting to know, when are you going to get more atheist philosophers on the show, uh, more agnostic philosophers on the show, more and more, you know. I'm like, well, I've had several. You just We just didn't talk about it. So, But anyway, I, I got you. You wanted Robin Lepedevin. I, I got it. I got you. I delivered. So we are going to be talking about a new paper of his on God and space. So God's relationship to space. We get into some nitty-gritty details about the metaphysics of space and different ways God might relate to space. After that, I've got my friend Larry Launanen on. Uh, so Larry and I were originally, we were going to record an episode on our paper uh, on cognitive science of religion and classical theism. Um, but then instead, we ended up recording an episode on disability theology, the resurrection, and just the experience of grief. Uh, and then I've got a follow-up episode where I interviewed my sister, Kelly, last year. I just haven't figured out exactly where to put it yet. So now I think it's going to follow nicely on a series with Larry uh, on disability theology. So I'm going to have an interview with my sister where we talk about her acting career, uh, her love of music, disability, and then I'm going to give my own reflections on disability and the resurrection in that episode. So that's what you've got coming up for the rest of the year. Now, what about after that? What about next year? Um, you know, I'm not entirely sure yet. I have several new books to read, and I've got several new interviews I need to schedule. I'm going to be reading Brian Ord's book, A Classical Response to Relational Theism, and then I'm going to set up an interview with him. So what what Brian is up to here is he's giving a critique of Thomas J. Ord's theology. Uh, it, it looks really fascinating. I'm really excited to dig into this. And then after that, I've also got Gregory Ganzel's new book, Divine Causation. This is an amazing set of essays on metaphysics and divine action. I'm going to be interviewing Greg about his essay on the pairing problem, like can God actually interact with the world? Is that actually possible? And then I'm most likely going to get on Paul Gould to talk about his essay on neo-Aristotelian metaphysics of creation. In fact, I, at some point I'm going to be creating interviews with everyone at Palm Beach Atlantic and hopefully get interviews with people at different conferences that I'm coming up, that I'm going to. Now, what the future of the show looks like is partly dependent on all of you. I have been getting some great questions sent in through the website. People have been asking questions about the Trinity, different theories of the Incarnation, God and time, providence, and human free will. So Chad McIntosh is editing a Four Views of the Trinity for my book series with Cascade. As the Four Views book of the Trinity nears completion, I'm going to try to interview all of the contributors on the show. And the same goes for the Four Views book on the Incarnation that Andrew Hollingsworth and I are editing. Uh, as that nears completion, I'm going to try to get all of the contributors on the show. Maybe I might be able to give you a little sneak peek at some of the material. We'll have to just wait and see on that. I'm also starting to think about who's in the Philadelphia area and who I want on the show. 
I'm hoping to get some Muslim scholars on at some point to chat about different models of God. As I see it, there are a lot of exciting opportunities for this show to grow. I greatly appreciate all of you who have been listening to 100 episodes of the Reluctant Theologian podcast, and I just pray that I can deliver 100 more. And there you have it, another episode of the Reluctant Theologian podcast. Stay tuned for episodes on the fall and original sin. 